Hi, everybody. David Knorr back with you with my partner, Jen Kors, for another episode of RevOp. Hello, Jen. Hello, Noor. How are you? I'm great, thanks. Now, this is commitment to this live stream and podcast because you're remote. Where are you joining us from this week? Uh, Colorado, ultimately. Uh, right now, I'm in Utah. I just completed a competition uh, for fly fishing. And this next week is a big, this next coming weekend is a big event. Tell, tell our audience a little about what you're doing. It is. Uh, so it's the U.S. Women's Fly Fishing National Championships. And so it'll be three days of fishing and competition uh, in Basalt, Colorado, to determine the world's team that will represent us in Norway this summer. For our audience, full disclosure, A, I didn't know there was a national fly fishing <laughs> team, B, the world's in Norway. So I'm, I'm super proud of our business partner, and, and she knows we're all cheering for her. So go get them. Uh, we are live on LinkedIn and Facebook and YouTube. And if you don't subscribe, we'd encourage you to do that and make sure you check out the NOR group beyond our personal and individual accounts. We've also really establishing the NOR group accounts. I would encourage you to jump in. Uh, we do these RevOps sessions 11 a.m. Eastern every Tuesday, and we do a combination of uh, insights and best practices and ideas and perspectives from our own kind of lens and purview and work with clients. But also we have guests and we have uh, CMO highlights. We bring in practitioners. We're going to start inviting some of our technology partners to kind of join us and talk about mm -hmm. what they're seeing in the market. And Jan, again, leads this on behalf of our team within the firm. This episode is really focused on data dedupe. And if you have ever, uh, it's embarrassing because when you contact someone uh, with the exact same message more than once or different parts of the organization contact them with misaligned kind of messaging or, you know, multiple people call them asking for the same thing, it, it really dilutes, I believe, your credibility and I believe your repute. And what we want to talk a lot about is not just detection and fixing it, but how do we also prevent it? And how do we really get ahead of this? So Jen, I'm going to obviously start by asking you kind of what is, let's kind of in the simplest terms, what is data dedupe? Why is it so important? Yeah. So data dedupe at its basic level is just having one record for everybody in all of your systems. So single source of truth, across every system. Uh, a lot of the tools have individual databases. So Salesforce has names, your marketing automation system has names, your, your contact system may have names. You need to have the same information across all of them and just one record for each. And so at dedupe is just making sure that you don't have du duplicates and you don't have uh, conflicting information or old information because people move jobs and maybe you have their old email address, but then you also have their new email address and you're contacting them at both with different messages. So it's it's just trying to make sure that your database is as clean as possible. So I, I've been really curious. I and I I honestly don't know why people do this, but you know, their formal name is William, but everybody mm -hmm. calls them Bill. Does that cause issues or they're a, a unique identifier that tells you that's the same person? Generally, with unique identifiers, you want it where it's something that is actually unique. With William, Bill, tons of people do it. There's tons of Williams. So using something like email address or giving them like a user ID 
that's unique, a set of numbers, a name, whatever, like that's actually a better unique identifier than trying to use people's names. Cause you could have a William Smith and you can have 12 of them. And so how do you know which William Smith you're actually trying to talk to? So giving them a different mechanism for uniquely identifying them is a best practice. And data dedupe is not just merging. It's not just, it, it genuinely is removing duplicate information that that might be in your systems. Yeah, it's removing duplicate, it's removing conflicting information to make sure that it's it's truly the most up to date and accurate information that you possibly could have about that person. And so I mean, nor you spend a lot of time with executive buyers, and just executive leadership teams, uh, what do you get the sense that their impression of data reliability is? Yeah, so I think intellectually, most leaders I work with certainly understand the value of clean data, and that's typically how they describe it. And 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 you would appreciate, and you and I've done this with with clients where we ask them, "What's your confidence level in the accuracy of that data?" And and we get, you know, at best in the seventy percent, and that's by the way, high confidence, right? Seventy percent, eighty percent. I'm sure we've got, you know, pretty decent. And they also hedge their bets, right? I think we got maybe roughly, possibly decent data, right? There's just no, or they give you a range, <laughs> right? you know, between fifty and you know thirty and fifty percent, right? So, um, so, so they realize intellectually the critical nature of accurate information. Obviously, I'm not convinced they know how to do it. It's done consistently. It's an ongoing, it's not a one and done event. It's got an ongoing process, if you will. I'm also not sure, and I'd welcome your perspective on this. Like I, I have I've yet to meet the data cleansiness, you know, leader in any organization, right? So whose job is it, right? Who's who's the janitor that's supposed to kind of walk around and just make sure that organization wide we're very intentional about how we think of data and how and where we capture it and how do we get the most out of it so well, which we go ahead you and i have talked before and and in a previous podcast uh, i brought up the point that data integrity is really everybody's job like all hands all rising tides rise uh, lift all ships um and so if everybody's making small adjustments to proper capitalization or proper email phone numbers or emails addresses like over time, the database gets much more clean more quickly. Um, but yeah, to your point, there really isn't a dedicated group, team, title, job that you hire somebody for of you're in charge of all data. Like it is your job to make sure all of this data is clean. A lot of organizations throw it to the ops team, but that can also create its own own headaches and friction and things like that, which we can talk about later in this in this session. So for our up. audience, break down the strategies. So I have I have databases, plural, right? Where do I start? What am I trying to do? How do I and, and you and I have walked into places where you know I love it when the executives tell us, Oh, you're starting with a clean slate. No, <laughs> you really aren't, right? There's there's always we walk into some you know, some environment where they've either bought lists or they've created their own or grabbed them from their website or so, everybody's got some sort of list. So break down the strategies for us. Where do you start? How do you really embrace or embark on a data dedupe approach? So jumping down this, this path or walking down this path really actually starts 
not in your databases at all. It's determining the key pieces of information that the company needs or the various teams need. So sales, you need a phone number, email address, name, title. Okay, those are the required fields. Customer success, what do you need? And so it's actually having those conversations with the various teams and then making sure in all of your databases, those fields are required. And so by requiring those fields, you can guarantee that, well, hopefully you can guarantee that they're always filled in with accurate information. They're not just jumbled one, two, three, four, five, six, seven for a phone number. Like that's not accurate. If you don't know the phone number, maybe give them a mechanism of unknown right now or, and then, so then that's a way you can come back later and populate that. So deduping and having a strategy related to data integrity starts outside of your databases. And then once you have decided what data you need, that's when you go into your databases and you set those required fields and you should do an evaluation of how much data, so here's our required fields, how much data do we have in each one of these fields? So then you understand your gaps. Maybe you have 50% phone numbers, maybe you have 75% email addresses. And so those things will then help you create a strategy to shore up and enrich, further enrich your database. And we've talked about enrichment, I think on our last call or two calls ago. Um, and so to your point earlier, it's not a one and done. And as the company evolves, that conversation needs to be revisited of what's the required fields. We have a new product, maybe it's a new title or a new something that we need to know who's our ICP. And so it, it is a constant feedback loop, if you will. So, so, so if I can ask a clarifying question, sounds like what, what you're starting with, and again, for our audience, full disclosure, the woman has locked down kind of what we do and how we do it. And joking aside, you know, when you made some of those fields in our Salesforce required, what it really highlighted was the discipline and a much uh, more strict data entry practice. So we were all consistent about, no, without an email, without a phone number, you know what? Stop being lazy. This isn't flossing, right? Go look it up. And, and as you capture it, make sure we have the accurate information about that individual. So I don't ask you or we don't ask Elaine or Michelle or somebody else to do something where they, don't, they can't find that information in Salesforce, where they can't find the, the accurate data they need. So it sounds like a stricter data entry practice is yeah. really the starting point and place to doing this right. Well, and also, so data entry, absolutely having strict this is min bare minimum information that we need for this name to exist in our database. And then you can build from that. Maybe they buy a product. Okay, so that means we now need their mailing address. So that field now becomes required. So you can grow the required number of fields. You don't want to have 50 fields as required to just put the name in the system because nobody's going to fill it out. And then you're not going to have the data you need. So start small, basic um, information. Yeah, and we also talk about automation. So, yes. so there's definitely some automation tools. Talk about those a second. And are they the end all be all? Or I mean, like, is it George Foreman grill set it and forget <laughs> it? Or do I still need the human intervention to make sure the tools are doing what they need to? Yes, you definitely need tools and the human element together to make sure that your, your strategy is most robust. And it's definitely not a set it and forget it. Uh, I think we've covered it previously. Pretty much every operational 
function as the company grows, as the business changes need, operations needs to be part of that conversation. So you can elevate and amplify the right tools, structure, you bring in the right technologies, people, processes. So you're not always trying to build the plane as you're driving it or flying it, I guess. Um, and so having a feedback loop mechanism for everything that you do is really, really important. And data integrity is one of them. What are some of your favorite tools? For data deduping? Uh, probably my most favorite tool is called OpenPrize. It does multiple things uh, at its core is a data integrations layer. And it connects all your tools together, even if they don't have native connections. And so it's a way to create that single source of truth. And it also allows you to dedupe across multiple databases in a very simplified fashion. So OpenPrize is one. Ringlead is another one that has a pretty strong data dedupe function. And uh, OpenPrize is one word and actually with an S just for our audience. But uh, yeah, they're really good. And they have really good tech support too. But uh, OpenPrize, Ringlead, Salesforce, when you set it up correctly, actually has a, an out-of-the-box function that dedupes. And also HubSpot is pretty strong with their deduping out-of-the-box. Marketo has some work to do on the deduping functionality, but uh, supplementing it with a Salesforce ringlead open prize um, will allow you to, to be able to create a pretty strong structure if you use Marketo. Um, and so David, what do you what have you observed kind of from the executive leadership level as the biggest challenges related to deduping and data integrity? Yeah, it's the combination of again intellectually understanding that it's important, uh, and really, really looking. Most leaders, and you and I, I, I jokingly call them geezers, right? So they're they're just they're old school. They're they're brilliant at what they do. We just and and Randy Seidel is a good friend, long term client, and and a partner, and we kind of run the sales community podcast together, tech sales insights. And we jokingly say, you know, RevOps wasn't a thing when we were selling, right? So my data was on, you know, spreadsheets and pieces of paper and- And, and this, pockets of business cards. And, and <laughs> stacks of business cards and sheets of business cards. And so, so again, intellectually, we all understand that that's critical. I'm going to keep going back to whose job is it? Who do I go to to kind of get help? Full disclosure, I, I've never used any of those tools. So, you know, and that's probably not the best of use of my time as a leader. What I want to ensure are a set of strategic outcomes. We've got, you've said it, one set of, you know, one version of the truth. We know as much of that 360 degree view of that prospect or a customer and, and I really like organizations increasingly that can really focus on anticipating. How do we leverage the data? How do we use the data? How do we understand the data? How do we make sense of the data to not constantly play catch up, but really get ahead and really start anticipating what will that prospect, what will that customer need? How do we bring up, I call them relationship on ramps but conversations mm -hmm. with our data that really demonstrate we've done our homework and we've done our due diligence and we know where they are 
in their journey with our solution, with our solution playing with other solutions and so well, on. And, and beyond just the solution that like your company can solve for them, like what exactly are they trying to do? What is their business objective? And then maybe there is a solution within your organization that they don't know you do. And you could make that suggestion because you have done your homework. They're, they're trying to solve this one thing, but you can also help them solve these two other things. That's, that's a conversation that opens many doors. So build on that. What are, yeah. what are say, some of the best practices that you've done and you've incorporated in setting up, a, I don't know if it's appropriate to call it a dedupe campaign, but a dedupe process and an ongoing, uh, you know, that data hygiene, if you will. So to set up a process, it does kind of go back to understanding has the company even defined what the required fields are. And if they haven't, then that's that's obviously step one. And you do start with the basics. Uh, one of our clients, we we required email to be put into the system because they were allowed to create records with no email addresses. And it's like, okay, well, we have no unique identifier. So David Knorr could show up in their account or their in their database 12 times. Maybe one has an email address, one has a phone number, so there's not a complete view. So locking down the fields is step one, always when creating um, these types of programs. And then making sure you have a strong strategy to enrich that information and decide what sources of information you trust would be step two. And I think we talked about that in our data enrichment podcast. And then the third one would be to consistently review the dedupes because there, there may be conflicts of duplicate information. And so sometimes manual intervention must be done. Like tools can only do so much and they've identified, I don't know, 50, 100, 200 things that need a tiebreaker, if you will. And then that's when the person, a person generally on an ops team would go in and review all of that information on a regular basis. And if you have a ton, like a huge volume, it might need to be a weekly basis. If you don't have a huge volume of inbound leads that potentially are duplicates, maybe it's a monthly basis, but constantly review and fine tune and tweak would be the best way to manage your data deduping and your data integrity process. Quick question of you. We've seen AI and ML in a lot of different mm -hmm. environments. Has that technology or that approach worked its way into the dedupe space? Because it seems logical to think, you know, are there algorithms that can learn behaviors and learn what we do and how we do it? And again, take some of that heavy lifting kind of off of my plate. So it kind of intelligently does it for me, understanding William and Bill Johnson at this company is actually the exact same person. So let's kind of merge or clean up or, you know, let me also go look at his LinkedIn profile and there everybody calls him Bill. So it really is Bill and not William as an example. Right. Yeah, there are. So machine learning and the automation uh, has gotten to that level. And some tools like HubSpot and Salesforce have incorporated that into their record creation process. So you click create new and you're starting to type in the information it's scanning in the background the rest of the database and if they find something it would be like this looks like this record and gives you the information do you want to proceed in creation and then you make the choice yes i still want to proceed or no that is actually who i'm looking for i'll just go update that record 
So there are tools that are incorporating that. Uh, and even further than that, like the machine learning or the, the AI, like website personalization technologies, as, as magic as they are, they are awesome. They still have to work from a set of data. And so you still have to make sure your data is clean to make sure that that website personalization is accurate because you don't want a prospect coming to your website and you address them as their competitor because your database is unclean. And yes, maybe they did work for that competitor formerly. And you just that also gives you a unpolished look, if you will. And it just shows that you don't really know what you're doing or your technologies are not as up to date as they should be. I get another email with dear name, <laughs> right? Dear name or, or, you know, how's, how's life at IBM? Dude, I'm at HP. Right? It just, right. it just makes you look again, it's amateur hour. It screams either somebody's sleep at the wheel or it's just not as mature or as sophisticated as, as certainly could be given the capability and competency of the, some of these, you know, tools and processes and, and organizations. Well, and building on that, like if you do have multiple records of the person, so the Will and William and Bill example, if you have the same email address in there and you send a mass email blast, they might get the email twice. One saying, dear William, the next one saying, dear Bill. And it's like, okay, you'd realize you just kind of spammed me. And that that's also a, not a good look for a company. <laughs> and, and I, and it builds on, you know, I, I tell every client that in every interaction, digital or physical, you have an opportunity to enhance and elevate that relationship, that, 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 that interaction, or you're going to dilute it. And the yeah. more you stumble over your own feet, the more you, you know, just demonstrate that either you don't care. You know, I always say incompetent, indifferent, or just poorly trained, right? And it's not the infrastructure isn't there. It's not helping. It's not helping your brand. It's not helping. And particularly since we're all competing for mind share and wallet share, right? Mm -hmm. And those little things can make the biggest difference. And it makes pe people feel special. Uh, but building off of the sort of the, the relationship and building those, those uh, further with call it clients and prospects, like why do you believe data duplication or deduplication, excuse me, is so culturally and behaviorally challenged within organizations? Yeah, I got to tell you, one of the things that I coach a lot of leaders to think about is, is you have to inspect what you expect. And I was recently in a conversation with a chief revenue officer, and we were specifically talking about the medic process. I think a lot of our audience members may have heard of it. If you haven't, it's a sales methodology and M-E-D-D-I-C, medic, stands for metrics. Uh, what's the economic impact of the solution or why would they do this? Uh, economic buyer, like who's responsible for, for when, whether this works or doesn't. Uh, decision criteria is another one. What's their technical vendor decision process? Identifying the pain, champion, and competition. So medic, M-E-D-D-I-C, is is a is a really a a, a checklist. It really is a um, scorecard, if you will. And it's often the answers are binary, right? Do you have an economic buyer or you don't? If you don't do medic reviews of your opportunities you're not inspecting what you, you could do all the training in the world you want. And that's also true with relationship economics and co-create a lot of stuff that we do. If you don't integrate it into the DNA of the culture, into the fabric of the culture, 
I, I, I just don't believe you're going to get the results you're after. So you can't be upset as a leader with that inaccurate report or that dashboard that's way off on what we're doing, what we're not doing. If you don't inspect, if you don't drive behavioral changes and a cultural commitment to data hygiene. And again, I, I, I don't, I don't want to stand up and, and pretend we're all high. Mate. We're working on ourselves, right? We're working mm -hmm. on cleaning up our own databases. And hey, does our Salesforce match our QuickBooks? And does it match our campaign monitor? And does it match the people that come to the website and people that download mm -hmm. our stuff and our Norform community? Do we have that information? And so this is not an event. This is an ongoing development opportunity. It's going to be an ongoing challenge and an ongoing opportunity. And the only way I know how to really get and keep your finger on the pulse of what's happening is to make it cultural, to make it behavior changes. Does that make sense? Does that resonate? Is that consistent with what you've seen? That does, yeah. And, and having these sort of best practices and, and processes built in from the DNA structure and everybody can hold each other accountable to uphold and complete this information it definitely is cultural like if if somebody can go off and do their own thing then that sets the tone of oh well these are guidelines and i really don't have to follow them and then that that's a cascading problem so yeah setting it as the dna top down bottom up side to side it's really important across a lot of different practices and and processes, not just deduplication or data hygiene, like all of them should be really be baked into the DNA of a company. So you talked about best practices. I want you to flip the coin. What are yeah. some of the biggest pitfalls you see? Because again, we, un we intellectually understand that that data hygiene is important. What are some of the pitfalls you see in organizations committing to implementing kind of really prioritizing kind of that data, data dedupe? Yeah, so there's several pitfalls that you can have and and while defining the fields is really important from the, the get-go, bless you. Um, <laughs> defining the fields from the get-go, like, like I mentioned, when you set too many fields, then people aren't going to adopt it. But if you set too few fields, then you're not actually getting the minimal viable data that you need to even operate. So then what's the point of having the rules? So that's one pitfall. On the other side, related to the dedupe rules, it's very similar. Like you set the deduplication bar so high that everything starts coming up as a dedupe. So uh, the William Smith, and then you have the email address, like just the William Smith blocks them, even though the email address is all different. And so creating that becomes friction. And again, people then won't want to work with it. But then if you set it too loose, then you do start getting duplicates within the system. And then again, what's the point of having your dedupe rules in place? So being too strict or too loose in both regards is probably one of the biggest pitfalls that I see. And then also just not growing it and organically changing it as the business changes. It was, they do set it and forget it. And so they were a 50 person company and this information worked then, you're now a thousand person company and they're still using the same, well, that's how we've always done it. 
that is the worst answer that you possibly ever can give for anything because there's always a better way to do it. There's always a more evolved way of doing it. And yes, it's hard. Change is hard, but making sure that the business is operating at the most optimal level is really important for revenue growth, for people wanting to work there. And so it's, uh, it's, it's key. And so that those are probably the three big pitfalls that I can see related to deduping. Um, and so turning to, to you, Noor, um, like where have you seen data hygiene and integrity uh, be really relevant to leaders? I have to tell you, I think the biggest one and the one that gets the biggest highlight on it are board presentations or senior leadership retreats where one leader gets up and raves about how successful that marketing campaign was or that product launch was. And it's based on false confidence and false mm. information. And you think, you know, we got we got this out to 600,000 people. No, you really only got it to 400,000 people because you got a whole bunch of data that isn't as clean or as, and what, again, what happens, particularly at that level, you dilute your credibility with your peers, mm -hmm. with certainly investors, with board members of he or she is clueless and they don't, they don't really understand their business. They don't understand, um, they don't have their finger on the pulse of the business. If you're reporting, if you're high-fiving each other on the success of something and it's based on inaccurate information. So well, and then having that confidence with boards, like if sales and marketing are reporting two different numbers, like that can create problems and friction too, right? Uh, absolutely. And, and, and it goes back to he said, she said, right? Or wait, wait, wait a minute. So marketing is saying we did this, but sales doesn't see it. Or product is mad because we, we reached out to, you know, existing customers trying to prospect them with something that they already own. And they're like, wait, this is a, they already own that stuff. They're using it. They're, and it just, it's that, the, the reverse of that credibility by association. It's really the amateur hour by association, right? It's It makes everybody look bad when this isn't, and they see it, that this isn't, again, cultural. It's not, and, and it's also got to be set from the top. I've always believed the behaviors you seek have to be modeled from yeah. the leaders. That's what really servant leadership is about is let me demonstrate to you that this is important and this is important to our organization and where we're trying to go. And, and by the way, I have to have, as you said, confidence in that report, in that integrity of that data to then go in front of my investors or my board or my colleagues and say, here's our baseline. Here's what we've done to improve it. Here's how we're better off because of these investments. That's the other thing. Think about the investments you made, whether you buy lists or you stand up multiple systems and for them not to really contribute to that one version of the truth makes you look like you either don't care or it was a careless uh, investment in that platform. Or again, the data is just not important to you. And none of those really convey credibility and, and deep expertise, right? Yeah. Um, so you and your team go in, and, and I love the, the, the RevOps baseline assessment you guys do, 
What do you look for in that data hygiene? What do you look for? Again, we're launching with several clients, you know, you and your team kind of taking over and really supporting their RevOps. What are you seeing in, in those early looks at their data structure? Yeah, so when somebody like tells us, like for a couple of our clients where they're like, you've got a clean database. Like, okay, well, definition of clean is a little relative. Um, and, and I mean, we're very honest about it because we all need to start somewhere. And so part of that baseline assessment is figuring out what the foundation is. What do we have? What are we working with? What are we missing? And so then that can set our strategic roadmap. And so one of the first things we do is, do you have required fields? Have you figured out what data is necessary for your business to run, for your people to do the job you've now hired them to do? And, and generally like BDRs, intermediate salespeople, and then field salespeople, like sales can be a very expensive function. And so you want to make sure you're arming those salespeople with the best information for them to be most successful. And so it, uh, it's just really important to have those required fields set up. And then also through those conversations and through that baseline assessment, we find if it is truly a cultural thing or does leadership even buy into this practice or is it something that they're entertaining because they know that they have to and they haven't understood the gravity of what bad data could do for them or do to them. And so part of that baseline assessment is understanding where are we on this spectrum of uh, maturity in a data integrity model and a data deduping and how mature are these databases? Are they even talking to each other? Do we have data silos? Like those sort of things are all things that we look for in our, our data or baseline assessment when we're, we're coming in and, and doing an evaluation of your hygiene. And some tools do have a great um, mechanism that'll actually scan the database and leveraging external tools. So like you have your CRM and your marketing automation system, when you connect a data enrichment tool like a Zoom Info, it can actually scan your database and tell you where your gaps are, which is really helpful because then that also sets a strategy of, oh, I didn't realize we only had 30% phone numbers and one of the metrics you're holding your salespeople to are number of calls. Well, they can't make phone calls if they don't have phone numbers. So that also highlights areas that you need to either shift and have your salespeople measured on something else or find a way to get them the phone numbers they need to be most effective in their jobs. So those are some of the things that we look for. In it, it, isn't it interesting how uh, metrics and compensation drives behavior, right? What, yes. what we found, what people are measured on, what they're paid on is what they tend to pay attention to. So yeah. it's, 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 again, it goes back to measuring and really creating a consistent conversation around um, the critical nature of this as an enabler of our success. Mm -hmm. Well, and to your point earlier, like you have to inspect what you expect. And we've talked about it just personally as the NOR group, um, having misaligned expectations can create friction. And so if you're expecting your salespeople to be making phone calls, yet you're not giving them the information, again, there's that expectation. And if you don't have a way to measure that, or you don't have a way to track that, so no dashboards, no reports, anything, you're never going to know. And then you're always going to be frustrated that your salespeople aren't doing what they should be, but you're not finding the root cause of why they're not doing what they should be. So there, there's that friction. Um, 
And so for that, Nor, what would you give as your best pieces of advice to executive coaching clients to amplify the value of their marketing and automation investments and their data integrity? Yeah, I got to tell you, I've um, I've uh, facilitated, moderated uh, several leadership retreats lately, as you know, and in every one of these top line growth with with inflationary pressures, with the competitive landscape, with the ongoing battle to to identify and attract the right talent, with all this headwind, most executives' primary focus is on driving that top line growth. How do we ensure we're in the right place when our target customers are interested in buying? And I can't think of a richer conversation when it's data-driven, when it's data-driven decision-making, when it's data-driven problem-solving, when it's data-driven. And you also see the air get taken out of the room when it's people's opinions. I mean, the good thing about opinions, we all have one, right? So, you know, where's the data to back that assertion? And, well, we have that available or people are using that. No, they really aren't. And it goes back to that data hygiene, that data integrity, the the belief and the trust in that data that I'm presenting to, I see a lot of colleagues on the senior leadership team is in fact the one version of the truth. So, in terms of tip or advice, I, I'm coaching a lot of marketing leaders. Spend time with your sales counterparts. Build a culture where the marketing organization sees itself as a we, as a partner of sales and customer success and product or engineering or the service organization and not us and them. You've heard me say this anytime I go into organization and it's those SOBs or you know those those useless people. I don't know what it is they do all day. Anytime mm-hmm. you hear us and them, we're not clicking on all cylinders. Conversely, when you hear it's a we challenge, it's a we problem, it's a we opportunity, you start to really believe that this is a supportive culture. This is a culture that believes it's not just marketing, it's not just sales, it's not just customer success's job to make sure we have the accurate information. It's everybody's. And so the more time, we used to, again, old school called windshield time, when you spend time in the car with others, and but more time you spend with your colleagues in other functions and really understand what is it that they do, how do they do it, what are their struggles. I think the higher it's going to take everybody's empathy quotient in understanding it is everybody's job, and it is an opportunity for everybody to jump in and contribute. Um, so I, I want you to kind of help bring us home. Um, what are you most excited about the work we're doing with, with the clients around RevOps today? What are you most looking forward to in seeing their evolution and their maturity evolve? So for our, our clients today, where we're where they're the early stage startups, what I'm most excited for them is really getting that foundation right and so that they can grow and scale at an accelerated pace. Because some of our clients are in very interesting sort of startup spaces and they're they're solving pretty large problems for, for businesses across all industries. So helping them get on the right foot from the get-go is really, really exciting. And then for our clients that are kind of in that mid-grade area, it's how to make them operate better, faster, actually firing on all their cylinders and just helping them lock in 
and get on the same page and, and transforming the, the us and that or them and us to a we um, and helping them see the value of that and how it can actually make them go further. So those are probably the, the two biggest ones that I'm most excited for our clients. But then also technology just in the space in general, in operations, is just changing so quickly. The growing, the scaling, and the, the switching out technologies to do something better or faster is also really exciting just so to level up all of our clients, regardless of size. Um, what they're doing and how they're doing it is is why I love what I do. Just over the last 15 years, it's really changed. For our audience, I neglect to mention, this is episode nine of our RevOps uh, live stream. We also have the podcast. And from uh, introduction to the accelerated time to close process, the customer maturity model, uh, we highlighted, uh, 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 you know, great CMOs who also get what, you know, RevOps is and what it's about would encourage you to go back. And if you haven't had a chance to watch some of the previous episodes, do that. Moving forward, starting next week, we're going to dive into our process a little deeper. So next week, we're going to talk about buyer profiles, their needs and behaviors, really focus on that buyer journey and how do we better understand that it's less about us and a heck of a lot more about them and how do we engage them right and really elevate our empathy that you know our solution isn't the only one they're thinking of or the only problem they have and we really are a guest in their journey that's really what what jen and i want you to think about is your product your solution is but a sliver of all that they deal with throughout the day so the sooner you understand their buying journey they're really understanding what is it that they do or want to do with your solution to solve a problem I think the more effectively you can align your differentiation, your strategy, your positioning. So we are live every Tuesday at 11 o'clock Eastern. I hope you'll come back and join Jen Kortz, my partner and I, as we really tag team ideas around elevating, amplifying, enhancing the conversation around revenue operations and all that it entails from marketing technology to sales technology, certainly customer success and really the insights that can be gathered uh, from each of those. So Jen, any final comments, anything that you want to share? I think you wrapped that pretty well, Nor. So I, I thank everybody for joining us and come back in the future. Sounds great. Look forward to seeing everybody next time. Again, check out norgroup.com slash RevOps. That's our uh, website for this service. And we'll look forward to seeing you next time. Thanks, everybody. All the best. Bye-bye.